Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hi, Fred. Well, winter is here, mighty cold here, but where there's a lot of action we're going to talk about, it's pretty warm. Pretty big news to chat about this week, and we're happy to have joining us Grayson Brulte, innovation strategist, autonomous vehicle expert, and president of the Brulte & Company consulting firm. Thanks for joining us, Grayson. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great having you with us. Well, Alan, your headline in the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter is Liftoff. We have Liftoff. Waymo has officially launched its commercial robo-taxi service in Arizona and several towns that are suburbs of Phoenix. It is called Waymo One. Pretty exciting, Alan. Uh, yes, it is Liftoff, and I think the clamps have gone off the bottom of the rocket, and it has moved, I guess, an inch uh, but at least is uh, we've had ignition and we've had liftoff, which is a major accomplishment. Well, Grayson, you're quoted in the Los Angeles Times calling this a game changer. It's a game changer because it's it's the first step towards the commercialization of a technology that Waymo's or Google, for that fact, a matter of fact, have worked on for the past 10 years. This is the first chance that even though we're in an early rider program, the general public be able to ride in a vehicle on public roads and have a positive impact on their daily lives. And this signals to the markets and to Alphabet shareholders that this is no longer a moonshot. This is a business. And Waymo One is limiting access at first to just a few hundred customers. Uh, CEO John Krafchick says they're taking a go-slow approach here. And while the vehicles, Chrysler, Pacifica, minivans, will drive themselves, there will be an engineer behind the wheel as a safety backup. We're not sure how for how long that's going to be the case, right? We're not sure for how long it's going to be the case, but no matter no matter how long it is the case, it's a really good savvy political move by Kraftcheck and the Waymo team. The biggest issue that we currently have with self-driving cars is the public trust. And then as Alan has talked about in, in great depth and detail, is the edge cases. Having a safety driver in there uh, solves two issues. One, it helps it helps reinforce the public trust. And two, it can solve for possible edge cases. And then probably the most practical analogy that you can use it as is a, a bus driver or a transit driver at Disney World. If you talk to a bus, dri- a bus driver or a transit operator at Disney World, they know every little detail about Disney World, all these hidden Disney trivia, and they become part of the experience. And I would imagine... As the Waymo One program launches and scales, those safety drivers will interact with the passengers and telling them why they're doing the technology, what the impacts are going to be, and be fully educated about the technology. They'll, they'll not just be simply engineers and safety drivers. Um, they'll be individuals that will help build that public trust. And if Waymo can build that public trust during these early programs, watch out. It's, it's no pun intended. It's off to the races. Alan, what's your take on, on the way uh, Waymo is going about this? Well, I think it's doing it uh, very professionally and uh, and the right way to do it. Um, uh, 
the reason you want to have a driverless is is to be able to reach scale and provide a, an extreme amount of mobility out there at a very affordable cost. In the beginning, the, the rocket is just not moving very fast off of that launch pad. And, and the labor component is not the key issue. Uh, the key issue, as, as has been expressed, is, is really the fact that this is a safe transportation system. And so uh, there's nothing to be gained uh, or extremely little to be gained uh, by uh, Waymo to pull uh, the attendant uh, from the vehicle at this point in time. They're only serving 200 people. They only have uh, less than 100 vehicles out there. At some point, this rocket begins to accelerate from the, from the launch pad. At that point, when it become, gets to be bigger and the experience in the place where they've done their initial geofenced area uh, becomes uh, extremely well known, then that, that attendant will just disappear and it will appear in the new area that they're expanding to. And so this is, this is really the mature way uh, to launch this technology. Uh, they don't need headlines saying, hey, there's nobody in it. Big deal. That's not it. What's it is the providing the mobility that people are comfortable with and, and, and appreciate. And the rest will take care of itself as long as that is being done perfectly safely. And this is uh, the road that they've put themselves on. And I think it's, it's quite appropriate. And this is a launch anyway, even though there isn't anybody in it. It is revenue service. It is a business. It's just that with the size of this business, you can afford to have an attendant. When the business gets bigger, guess what? The attendant disappears and all of a sudden, uh, Waymo and Alphabet make gazillions. Grayson, uh, Waymo obviously isn't looking to make money out of this, even though it is formerly a commercial service. Not yet, right? Correct. Waymo's not looking to make money yet. Waymo's looking to show Wall Street that this is no longer a moonshot, that this is becoming a business. And this will become a business that will start to generate large amounts of revenue uh, for the Alphabet Corporation and the billions of dollars that Alphabet has invested into this technology, into this moonshot, will become a substantial part of earnings in the future for Alphabet. Well, step us through from the consumer perspective, uh, the people who are going to be using this, how this is all going to work. Oh, it's going to be app-based. It's app similar to everything else. Today. You'll have an app, you'll summon the Waymo vehicle, and the vehicle will take you uh, to and from your destination. But the key thing about Waymo and a majority of the brands that are working on autonomous technology is the consistency of the product. Where today, when you order an Uber, you it's kind of like, you know, before it's gum says, you don't know what you're going to get when you open the box of chocolates. You can have a good Uber ride. You can have a bad Uber ride. You can have a smelly Uber. You can have a clean Uber. With Waymo, you have a consistent product. I think that's one of the key differentiators there. And another thing that's not really discussed enough about in the industry is that it's cocktail chatter. If you're going to an event or to a school function 
or any sort of outing, it gives you something to talk about. Hey, I rode in that Waymo car. Do you know how cool this was? It kind of goes in that social hierarchy of conversation. That becomes really, really interesting that I went in this and you become a, an early adopter, that you are part of this tribe, you are part of this trend, and you're helping to usher in the future. And I think that's where a lot of the industry kind of looks at it through a technical perspective. They don't necessarily look at it from a social perspective and the different Asians and what this technology will do in social circles and what it'll do to society in general. And the other thing we have to keep in mind is Google's cool. To a majority of the individuals around the world, Google's cool. And, and that's, a, that's a key factor to keep in mind. An advantage that they have over the competition at the outset here. Now, Waymo has had its early rider program program going on for, what, about a year and a half now. What makes this development really so significant? It makes it significant because they're, they're commercializing its service, and they're saying that we're getting ready to add on more individuals and more vehicles. This is no longer just a an early rider testing program. This is a business, and this is a service that we're going to deploy in Phoenix, and then we will bring it to other states such as Florida and California. They're clearly saying that this is becoming a business. This is no longer testing. This is a business. Alan, what's your take on why this is so well, significant? That's the way I see it. The key thing here is instead of it being uh, almost a university research project or something like that, they're now saying uh, instead of us uh, coercing people to, to take this, which maybe you could call the early rider program, we're going to put this out there in the marketplace and see if anybody comes in and wants to use it. And um, and what we're going to do is we're going to tweak and, 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 and modify this 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 product, uh, this mobility product uh, to uh, basically test the market. We're going to see if uh, this lemonade stand that we've created here can actually sell some lemonade. And I think that that's kind of key. And what I hope and, and sort of what we're trying to do uh, here in New Jersey is, is to try to create an environment where where they might want to come here, uh, but in fact come here uh, to uh, really provide um, uh, mobility, as we've talked about, to, to the mobility disadvantaged, uh, those that don't already have uh, mobility, those that are, that, are, that, that are too poor to own a car, and maybe even do it in a, in a ride-sharing process because these vehicles are mobility machines. Uh, and machines need to be put to work. They, in some sense, don't really care who they move, and in, fa- in some sense uh, would be willing to move uh, two people together or three people together and all of a sudden provide enormous uh, efficiency and environmental, uh, environmentally responsible mobility uh, as well as providing it and making it enormously affordable while making a substantial profit. So in a sense, um, uh, you don't get a chance to do this until you're out there in the marketplace doing it and seeing whether or not there's a market response. And this is the liftoff that we have had here. This is a liftoff of a market response uh, to this kind of technology. Bingo. You, 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 bingo. You hit the nail. You absolutely, Alan, hit the nail on the head. The lemonade stand as a daughter who wants nothing more to operate a profitable lemonade stand it makes me so proud you're right the question is with with the lemonade stand analogy is will somebody be willing to pay for this service and that's something that Waymo's going to learn and the other point that you brought up which was 100% spot on was the disadvantaged riders and if there's a an individual that 
wants to get a better job, but public transportation can't get them there, and they necessarily can't afford an Uber or Lyft to get there, they now have that opportunity to go to that job to make to earn more money. And I think that becomes really, really compelling as we start to see traditional job hubs move away from uh, where the transportation goes to to transportation deserts where the autonomous vehicles will go. That becomes really interesting to see how the uh, employment really changes uh, when this service starts to really roll out. We have it here in, in central Jersey. We have Amazon who has this great distribution center, employs 2,500 people, uh, but there's no New Jersey transit service. And, and you know, the kinds of jobs they have there, uh, you know, can feed families, uh, but really can't buy cars for families. And what these folks that, the, that Amazon needs to be able to get out there to work is a mobility system uh, that will bring them there. And it operates basically 24-7. You don't have to worry about, you know, whether or not an Uber or Lyft driver wants to get up and take somebody so that they can punch in at 7 o'clock in the morning. The vehicles are available. And in a sense, having this, and as I call them, these are mobility machines. And as a machine, you want to put the machine to work. And you want it to work, um, you know, uh, providing 50 trips a day, 60 trips a day, maybe even more if you can really get some ride sharing. And all of a sudden, if you have these kinds of vehicles doing that, uh, you have a margin opportunity to make uh, quite a respectable profit for Alphabet, the company, uh, and providing a great uh, social and societal benefit in return. So uh, that's what, what why I'm so excited about this liftoff is to be able to get get the lemonade stand to be operating at that level of, of social responsibility and efficiency. And then imagine when you eliminate the, st- the stress of that individual that has to go to, to work at an odd hour, say at the Amazon uh, warehouse, where the if there's traffic that day or there's inclement weather, the vehicle, they can get a notification on their phone where the vehicle will show up, say, seven to 10 minutes early to assure that they're on time so they're not running red lights or driving uh, like a bat out of hell to try and get there on time. The vehicle can, based on traffic patterns, can assure they're there on time. Think about what that does to their stress level and also think about what that does to their quality of life. That's game-changing for a lot of people. And then it, could it reduce do stress, and, which could lead to a heart attack? Is that in the positive impact that will have on, on medical and on just on health will be will be astronomical. Grayson, so this comes at the end of 2018. Uh, what a hazard, I guess, as to where Waymo and competitors may be a year from now? We will have multiple deployments in multiple cities around the United States and, and geofence controlled areas. Companies beyond Waymo as well, I suppose. Uh, beyond Waymo, uh, you're going in as we go towards 2019, we'll probably see one or two. 2020, Zooks has been very public that they'll have a service running. In 2021, you'll have Ford. But I think that there's some sleeper companies that aren't getting enough attention uh, that will surprise a lot of people next year that will roll out in, say, a two or 300 square mile radius, a service. And then it'll be really interesting to watch as we look in, in 2019 is what state emerges as the leading state for the deployments of this? And is there a city in that state that emerges as the multiple deployments where you have a Waymo, a Zooks, a Ford, all operating in the same city, that's going to become really fascinating to watch. And I think that's something that we will start to see bubble up towards uh, late 2019 and early 2020. Um, We'll see that, and there'll be some some really special things that will happen then. Uh, The New York Times says within a few weeks, Uber will resume testing, but only on a mile loop 
really, between two company offices in Pittsburgh, and the vehicles won't operate at night in wet weather, or they won't be going above 25 miles per hour, but they are getting back in following the, uh, the, the fatal crash earlier this year. Yeah, it's a good positive step for Uber. What Dara Kalowski needs to come out right very publicly and says, we messed up. The, 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 the culture of Uber before I came on board was toxic. We cut corners. We hired unethical people. We made the wrong decisions. And I'm here as the new CEO to come out and say, we're sorry. And we're starting over. And throw everything out that you built under that old regime and start over. Rebrand the entire thing and restart to build that public trust. And I think, personally, Uber should try and rebuild that trust in a different city. Because from a political relationship standpoint, the relationship between the city of Pittsburgh and Uber has been well documented is not healthy. They need to follow the playbook of Domino's. That's a classic playbook of coming out and saying, our pizza sucks. Uber says, Dara comes out and says, I'm sorry, we messed up. And start slowly building that public trust and going to a new locale where uh, you can start fresh. Yeah, I I think they are basically starting back close to zero and they should. And and hopefully anybody who uh, now uh, looks at, oh my goodness, Waymo's out there and now we have to go... uh, uh, basically leapfrog them and go do something crazy, uh, please don't. Uh, because if you do, you're, you're going to ruin it for everybody. You're going to ruin it for yourself, and you're probably going to ruin it for Waymo, too. Uh, again, um, this is very serious business. And it, it's somewhat amazing that we were able to get through the Elaine Herzberg uh, uh, tragedy uh, to get to this point. But we can't have any more screw ups like that. We can't have a company that that goes out there and actually pro- tries to provide this service where they aren't. I mean, almost ninety nine point whatever percent confident that in fact uh, the system will work. And so all these other companies that are out there uh, doing this uh, really need to look at at what uh, Waymo has done to get to this point. Uh, the testing of the 10 million or who knows how many miles, the amount of, of simulation that they've done, uh, the care that they've taken in, in doing that. And, and they also have to be careful. And so if, uh, if it's only GM Cruise that comes out over to, uh, in, in the next year, that's fine. Uh, I don't think Ford should go out there and say, oh, our target was 2021. Uh, let's, let's accelerate this. No. Uh, there's plenty of time after 2021 to make for everybody to make an enormous amount of money. Uh, but if you go accelerate this thing and if you, you're irresponsible, uh, you're going to not only ruin it for yourself, um, you may ruin it for everybody. No, you're correct, Alan. I mean, we saw that, you know, that incident with the individual that got the famous NHTSA letter that pushed the envelope and almost ruined it for everybody. Right. And the, we, we have to avoid that situation. The industry has to self-regulate and self-police. It's a small enough industry where a majority of us are, are very good, close, personal friends. And there's plenty of the pie to go around. We have to do what's right for society. And we, we cannot cut corners. And, and also, we should probably share the information that we have, especially on safety. It, it, it is a benefit to everybody. 
to be safe and not screw up. And in a sense, uh, since since a screw up by one affects everybody, everybody should be getting together and say, don't screw up on the safety. We can we can compete on a bunch of other things and levels of service and whatever and so on and so forth. Uh, but safety should not be that the, what people are competing on. We should be cooperating this on this. This is tough enough to do it by by oneself. It, it would be so much easier and better for everybody if we can get to a cooperative aspect of this uh, without collusion. Nobody's interested in doing collusion. Uh, getting together to do safety is not collusion. It's providing societal benefit. And that needs to be regu- uh, res- uh, realized by the regulators and encouraged by the regulators and encouraged by the CEOs of each of the various companies. A couple of other stories from the newsletter to get to quick. Uh, Tesla, which passed BMW in value last month, is now becoming more valuable than Daimler, Daimler. parent company of Mercedes-Benz. Alan? Wow. I mean, I can't imagine what they're what what they're thinking there and Daimler. You know, the the company that started all this in 1886, all of a sudden is being upstaged by an upstart. Whoa, um, I can't imagine what's going on internally with that one. And the Institute of Transportation Engineers released a statement this week saying the ITE supports the advancement of technology in all areas of transportation and particularly in the development of connected and automated vehicles. They advocate a strong government role in regulatory oversight. And you had a couple of comments there. Well, I think it's great of the ITE and the, and the engineers, but well, I can't understand why they, they, they are insulting automation by, by calling it uh, connected and automated as opposed to automated and connected. But whatever, I guess uh, everybody knows that um, I'm not the, the biggest fan of connected. Connected is important. And, and guess what? The Waymo vehicles are connected. All right. And connected and connected and connected. Uh, but uh, the kind of connection that, that, that's been of interest in the past is one in which, you know, public uh, entities go out and, and pay for a bunch of gizmos that, in fact, uh, won't really do anything. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, otherwise, I'm, I'm happy to see their statement. Is connected a branding issue, do you think, Alan? Uh, the way it's perceived? It is. It's a bad branding issue. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a legacy of, of the Federal Department of Transportation to be able to get a, a government contract for, you know, maybe uh, maybe a couple million dollars, as opposed to looking at the marketplace that is investing billions of dollars. Anyway, uh, 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 it's part of the uh, Beltway Bandit uh, Society um, <laughs> that exists around Washington. Uh, whatever. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Well, finally, from the half-baked section of the latest newsletter is a piece from The Economist with the headline, How a Chinese Robotics Company Made Segway, parentheses, Almost Cool. I don't know. I mean, really, uh, uh, segways uh, were supposed to change how cities would be designed and so on. Uh, It's a little bit too goofy to me. And um, and I think the emphasis is on the word almost as opposed to something else, as opposed to 
or it should be on the almost as opposed to having almost in parentheses. Uh, I don't know. I, I, there are some students around campus that run around in these things and seem to run over all the pedestrians. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think they're going to change things, but uh, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong in the future. Well, that is it for this edition. We want to thank Grayson Brulte for being here with us. Great to have you, Grayson. Oh, thanks, Fred. Thanks, Alan. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Hey, Grayson, great to have you. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in Princeton in May uh, for the summit again. Um, we keep on having fun, right? Yeah, we're going to keep on rocking and rolling and, and ushering in the future mobility. Absolutely. Grayson, where's the best place listeners can go to to get in touch or, or follow your work? Uh, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, G-B-R-U-L-T-E. Uh, follow, send me a DM, and happy to connect. Terrific. Well, you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and more. Ask your smart speaker to play us, too. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening.